0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Tobolowski Files, a series of stories about life, love, and the entertainment industry, as told by actor Stephen Tobolowsky. My name is David Chen. I'm the managing editor at SlashFilm.com and the host of The SlashFilmcast. And joining me today, he is the man who played Lars Balthazar in True Jackson VP... Stephen Tobolowsky. Stephen, how are you doing today, sir?
1: I am doing very good. You know, I had such a great time on that show, uh, True Jackson, but it was a sign of the times in terms of the economy because True Jackson is a sitcom and we all know what a sitcom is, but the producers were telling me it is too expensive now to do a sitcom with an audience. So we did the entire sitcom with absolutely no audience and they put the laughs in later completely and... Here is a trivia question for you, David Chen. Yes? Where do they get the laughs that they put into a sitcom?
0: Well, I'm not 100% sure, but I know it's from an old sitcom, I think in the 1950s or the 1920s. Oh, uh, so
1: warm. Oh, yes. Uh, Keep going, David. I you want to say so on a- I
0: Love Lucy, perhaps? Yes,
1: yes. <laughs> they use the laughter from I Love Lucy to put into modern sitcoms. And they use it on all of the shows because not just out of some kind of loyalty to Desi Arnaz, who was the creator of the sitcom, uh, and the three- and four-camera format of the sitcom, but because the laughter was recorded so warmly and so perfectly it fits.
0: Right. Amazing. So, so when you hear laughter, it's literally the dead that are laughing. <laughs>
1: Could be, David. Oh, dear. you scaring me now.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of stories that have potentially contiguous storylines, Stephen, yes, uh, yes, we were talking yes. about how uh, you have chosen to have a cliffhanger at the end of your last it's an episode.
1: experiment in terror, David. I don't know. It's an experiment in terror. You know, I thought this this time I would try the experiment of having cliffhanger with my, with my uh, experiences in Buffalo and it's a it's positive and negative, because, as you know, uh David Chen always tells me, be aware that there may be new listeners each week, and of course, if they come in in the middle of a cliffhanger, that would not be nice. uh so I guess as a um as a, just
0: as a public service public service announcement
1: public service announcement, that's right, is that today's show is the third in a series of stories that begins with Plan B, uh, City of Illusions, and today's story is called Nighttime on Mars. Right,
0: so that's episode uh, 30, 31, and of course this is episode 32.
1: That is correct. And uh, as, as I guess I have to do like the old time Western cereals, I have to tell you that last time, last week ago, if, if you don't remember, I had just opened the Miss Firecracker contest in Buffalo. And there at the opening night party, they had a buffet line and I came face to face with Faye Dunaway, who said to me, Stephen, how long do we have to stay here? Let's get out of this place. That's where we left off And David, I would speculate (laughs) You know I love math and science That if you were to calculate the possibilities Of meeting Faye Dunaway in Buffalo, New York You would probably say slim And if you were to add to that equation That you meet her at the end of a buffet line With a dinner roll in your hand You would have to add an exponent to those odds But if you add to the mix That she stops you And urgently says that the two of you need to leave together quickly as possible to explore the city after dark You are now in the mathematical realm of when pigs fly As you recall, magicians use the art of misdirection and forcing a card to create the illusion that the impossible can happen Most of the time, the only illusion is that you, the casual participant, had a choice as to which card you pick from the deck it all becomes simple if you consider the possibility that it was planned in advance And I'm guessing that pretty much explains my evening with Fay. Faye knew that Beth was a rising star among writers She also heard that there was a new play, The Miss Firecracker Contest That had the possibility of coming to New York on the heels of Crimes of the Heart She also heard that the play was a comedy which she wanted to do And there was the part in the play Of a one-time beauty queen That also fit her to a tee So Faye hired a helicopter To come to the opening in Buffalo At the party after the play Beth was not terribly surprised When I told her that Fay was there So I suspect that Faye already met Beth in the lobby And maybe it had even talked with her at intermission Who knows But uh, that would have been my guess There had also been a write-up in People magazine on Beth that had a picture of the two of us together so Faye would know what I looked like So it's no great leap for Faye to approach me after the show And an actor is always accessible by his ego It never hurts to use the charm offensive, and Faye was the definition of charm Asking me out on the town represented the charming side of the divide-and-conquer strategy used so effectively by Attila the Hun The charm offensive in the hands of Fay Dunaway was like Bruce Lee with nunchucks Seen from the perspective of the professional magician The odds of an evening with Fay had become a foregone conclusion And it could be another one of those real-world examples of that mind-blowing particle from quantum physics the tachyon, it had arrived before it departed Faye took my arm and I was transformed into a southern gentleman We hit the streets about 11 p.m. It was a surprisingly comfortable night and I could have sworn it was an evening akin to Indian summer in Illinois Faye was extraordinarily beautiful by any historical standard By moonlight, by starlight she had a kind of beauty that I actually found intimidating Which I thought was interesting It was hard for me to speak Like the first time you see the Mona Lisa or the Grand Canyon We headed for the Italian section of town And Faye was talking about when she was in acting classes in New York And she got very serious Wanted to know what I thought about Stanislavski How I worked on my part But as she was talking I noticed the sway in her step as she walked, and I was intrigued. The way she moved her arms and the way her hips moved in odd opposition to her shoulders, I could suddenly see the little girl in her. And then almost as if on cue, she was hit by a fit of whimsy, and she started laughing, and she reached her arms up to the sky. She spun in a circle and shouted out to the night how beautiful it was. And at that moment, Faye seemed to be more part of the moon and the stars than the sidewalks and the restaurants. And at that moment, I felt very alone. Maybe that was the key to the imposing nature of beauty. Was it possible that human beauty and celestial beauty are actually the same thing? And it's only a cosmic trick that makes us separate the two. The fact that Fay Dunaway and the Milky Way appear to be separated by millions of light years Is only an illusion No different than when Davy Marlon Jones Was separated from that mother in Cleveland As he displayed her dinner menu on his chalkboard in his magic act It was an illusion worthy of Buffalo Huh, maybe that's what made me terrified of girls in high school And made it hard for me to have a casual conversation with Fay. It was a kind of stage fright Whenever I talked to a beautiful girl I always felt I was like the tourist in the audience Picked at random by Houdini And part of me was always waiting for her to pull an egg out of my nose Or make a scarf appear in my upper right hand pocket Just like a magic trick I may have been looking at beauty from the wrong angle if it was not a human trait but a rare extraterrestrial element, it would make perfect sense that Fay would commune with the night sky, and I would feel like I had been a victim of alien abduction. We walked into an old Italian restaurant and saw the Fay effect at work on the owner. He just about genuflected. He rushed toward her, Miss Dunaway. Such a pleasure. Fay blushed and smiled and extended her hand, saying. I know it's late, but the owner kissed her hand and interrupted. It is never too late for you. We are honored. He called out to the waiter. Please, a table for Miss Dunaway. Faye turned to me with a sense of purpose and said, Should we call Beth and invite her too? I said, Absolutely. Faye turned like a general in battle and said to the owner, Table for four. Stephen, would you like a drink? I nodded and said, "A Martini? Faye turned back to the owner a pitcher of martinis And for dinner, the owner interrupted Faye again and said Not to worry, i fix you something special No menu for you, it's on the house In the next few hours, I came to understand that On the house was the definition of Faye's interaction with the world Beth and her agent Gilbert joined us And I suddenly felt like I was sitting at the grown-up table at Thanksgiving we went to two more restaurants, three more bars that night, and everywhere we went we heard either on the house or Miss Dunaway, it's on the house. All Fay had to do was allow the owners to take a picture with her. I figured this was probably the way business must be done on other planets. I could see how intoxicating it could be for mere earthlings to slip through life with no price tag. And what a comedown, it must be the first time a waiter actually presents a bill and asks if it'll be cash, check, or charge. I didn't know if I would be willing to face that day for the price of a pitcher of martinis. About 3 a.m., Faye had taken off her shoes and was walking down the middle of the street with torn hose, occasionally singing, occasionally dancing down the center line. She would spin gracefully and bow and laugh. She invited Beth and I to spend Christmas with her at her home in the country We accepted But we never went Faye was never in the Miss Firecracker contest And she never played Elaine Years went by and I was certain I would never see her again The night in Buffalo was in fact an event as rare as lassoing Haley's Comet But I was wrong I did meet Faye again in 2005, I was cast in the low-budget independent film called Love, Hollywood Style, and I played the devil. Note to self and other actors out there, beware of any part named the devil, because it probably won't really be a role, but a strange amalgam of every part Al Pacino ever played, combined with a healthy dose of foghorn leghorn. Ironically, Fay was cast as the angel I had finished filming almost all my part the week before and I had one more shot left when Faye was called in to shoot The Faye effect was still at work Everyone was nervous at the thought of her being in their presence Michael, our director, told me he had to kick me out of my trailer You see, the movie could only afford one trailer and he had to give it to Faye He hoped I understood I told him not to worry, he should do whatever he needed Everything would be fine So I left my trailer with my costume and my book of crossword puzzles in hand and asked where I should go I was given an orange crate, told I could sit on it And if I needed to change clothes, I could go to the gas station across the street It could be described as a fall from grace Faye arrived in a limo, and she was in full battle mode. Sunglasses, bodyguard. She was escorted into my trailer, which she didn't like at all, which I completely understand. The trailer was very nasty, and it had ants. Things settled down, and I went over to say hello. I was stopped by several security people. I tried to explain that I knew Faye from a play I did 25 years ago in Buffalo. That didn't work. When she started shooting... I snuck onto the set to pay my respects I ran into her off stage She was walking out to her trailer And I said, Faye, it's Stephen From the Miss Firecracker contest in Buffalo She didn't hear me Or she didn't recognize me Or she was thinking about the scene But the net result was she walked past me And never said a word I was on the verge of saying We met at a buffet I was holding a dinner roll You danced in the street An assistant director ran up to me and told me not to bother her. I was forlorn. The high price of beauty is the memory of beauty itself.
2: The corner boys down in the street making all that noise. Knowing no horse on 8th Avenue. Cause tonight I'm gonna be with you. Cause tonight I'm gonna take that ride. Cross the river to the Jersey side.
1: One of the unexpected rewards of that night with Faye Dunaway Was the answer to one of those mysteries that had haunted me since I arrived in Buffalo Beth and I returned to the studio apartments a little after 3 a.m. Quite enchanted by the evening and the martinis and the invitation to Faye's for Christmas We began to get ready for bed when a shot rang out Yes, it was the same shot that rang out when I was sedated out of my mind When I arrived and I couldn't get out of bed It was the shot that saved me and scared the burglars out of my apartment It was the shot that Bob pronounced with a high degree of authority Was not a shot because there was no smell of burning gunpowder We froze with terror in the living room And we were suddenly very sober, very aware I told Beth to wait I would check out the apartment and make sure everything was safe I crept back in the direction I heard the shot I started turning on lights and moving cautiously from room to room Nothing Not only was there nothing I couldn't see anything different anywhere I turned on the back bathroom light Where I had the unfortunate encounter with the criminals that afternoon When I was sitting on the throne and was very busy And told them to come back later if they wanted to rob me And then I saw it Something different I saw me Yeah, there was a reflection of me In the little bathroom window beside the toilet The one where the men were trying to enter my apartment that fateful day I realized I never remembered seeing myself in that window Because it was usually stuck open from the new paint job I went up to investigate I lifted up the window about a foot. It stayed. I walked back to the door. Suddenly, it dropped, and it sounded like a gunshot echoing in the tile bathroom. My mind pieced together the probable scenario of that day when I was paralyzed in bed. The men must have entered the apartment through that bathroom window, thought no one was there, and the window stuck open. And just before they discovered me in the front bedroom, The window dropped. They probably also thought it was a shot and they ran out the kitchen door. The next morning, I told Bob about my discovery in the bathroom window. He didn't say a word. He walked back to his apartment and returned with a hammer and nailed the window shut. With a lucky strike dangling from his lips, he said, There you go, Jack. Never underestimate simple. It usually works every time. During the run of our play, Bob and I settled into a friendship that, as I look back, can only be regarded as one of the greatest gifts in my life Bob taught me how to play Scrabble, which we played daily, nightly, twice on weekends In the evening after the show, we would drink Irish whiskey in the theater bar or head down to Ray Flynn's Tavern down the street Now, Ray Flynn's was something from another time It was a newspaper bar And whenever the morning edition was finished And loaded onto the trucks All the fellows from the presses Would file into Ray Flynn's Wearing these nifty little paper hats They folded from that morning's newspaper And you had to be in the know To be taught how to fold that hat properly Bob always threatened to show me how they do it It was at Ray Flynn's Where Bob taught me about boiler makers So simple Irish whiskey and beer, so many delightful variations You could drink it neat with the Irish whiskey on the side You can drink it Irish, where you pour the whiskey into the pint of beer You could do the depth charge, where you drop the whole shot glass of whiskey into the pint And he even showed me a way to work breakfast into the mix by adding a raw egg Ah, I admired Bob so much I would smoke Lucky Strikes to try to emulate him one night some of the newspaper men sat down with us and bought us some boilermakers I asked them about their paper hats And they said the tradition was over 100 years old I asked them how they folded them The man smiled and took his little hat off of his head and started undoing it And he held before me the page of the morning edition With the traces of what looked like a hundred intricate folds He laughed and handed it to me and said Like this I looked at the fold marks on the paper like it was some kind of mystery from the Sphinx at Delphi. The man continued, some things you can't learn at Ray Flynn's Bob took the paper out of the pressman's hand and said, but some things you can Stephen, what would you say if I were to bet you $500 that we could put this sheet of newspaper flat on the floor? I put my toes on one end, you put your toes on the other You swing as hard as you want, and you can never hit me In fact, you couldn't even touch me If you do, the money's yours The newspaperman started chuckling Bob opened the paper to its full size and displayed it for me Okay, you know, it's a newspaper, it's no more than, what, 24 inches? Bob said, there it is, Jack Put it on the floor. I stand at one end, you stand at the other. Take your best shot. If you hit me, you get $500. Bob reached into his pocket and pulled out his wallet. He threw some hundreds and twenties onto the table. The newspaper men got very quiet. I I said, Bob, man, I would never hit you. And Bob laughed and said, oh, I know, bro, because you love me. But put love aside for a second. I'm saying you can't touch me. No matter how hard you try I said, well, of course I can touch you And Bob said, but I'm saying you can't And I'm putting down 500 Okay, I was getting nervous now I said, Bob, are you joking or is this for real Because I don't know anymore Bob got a steely look in his eyes And said, it's for real And to make it even more real Why don't you put down 500 too? I said, "Uh, I don't gamble, Bob, and I feel like I'm going to lose somehow. Bob smiled and picked up his money and said, most of the time, feeling like you're going to lose is the same thing as losing. Let me show you. Bob lit another lucky strike, picked up the sheet of newspaper and said, follow me. I got up, as did all the pressmen, and we followed Bob through the bar. Bob took the sheet of newspaper back in the direction of the office. Bob called out to Ray Flynn, who was tending the bar, going to use your office for a second. Ray laughed, and with a sweeping gesture of his hand, said, be my guest. Bob put the newspaper on the ground in the doorway of the office and said, Stephen, go stand on your end. I went into the office and put my toes on the edge of the newspaper. Then Bob closed the office door, leaving his half of the newspaper outside of the office. The heavy oak door closed with a clang, and Bob yelled, Okay, bro, swing away! All the newspaper men erupted in laughter. I opened the door and was the butt of a joke. Bob was laughing and said, You see, you were right. You would have lost. Sometimes thinking you're going to lose is the same thing as losing We sat back down at the table and had boilermakers with raw eggs I asked Bob if it was sanitary I said I thought raw eggs could have salmonella He said, not to worry bro, the Irish cooks it Bob handed the sheet of newspaper back to the pressman Who with enormous dexterity folded it back into some sort of morning edition of Derby And plopped it back on his head Bob continued I always want you to remember the newspaper in the door. It's a lesson for you. And I said, what? In not taking barroom bets? Bob said, no. In the difference between honesty and truth. Most people live their lives and they think it's the same thing. But they're not. People can use honesty to tell lies. Like me saying there's no way you could hit me standing toe to toe on a piece of newspaper. But honesty never tells the whole story It only tells part of the story The part you want to be heard The part where you're right But the truth is closing the wooden door It not only changes the way you see the situation you're in But it changes the way you see the world from that point on You can use honesty as a bludgeon bro to hit people over the head But you can never go back from truth I'll bet you from now on you will never completely believe your eyes And I'll bet you from now on You'll guess that there's always a missing piece I drank a bit of my Boilermaker and smiled Thanks I'll remember that Bob smiled back and said I know you will bro I know you will
2: With you. Sing
1: I have a confession to make. When I first moved to Los Angeles in 1976, I went to parties where people would seriously bemoan the fact that they didn't live in a place that had four seasons. And I always nodded in agreement with them, but I really had no idea what they were talking about. I grew up in Texas where the romance of weather was beaten out of me at an early age. And now six years later, in 1981, I was working in Buffalo where I could experience the seasons firsthand. Yes, Buffalo had four seasons, just not the ones you learn about in school. I arrived in late August during the brief but memorable spider season. For some reason, there was a period near the end of summer where every tree, bush, and bedroom was covered with big black spiders. Our director, Davy Marlon Jones, said he found it fascinating. My friend Bob said, yeah, it's a bitch, but they all die pretty quick. I can vouch for that. I even helped the process along with the use of one of my kung fu shoes. The only downside to spider season for me was one night of terror and shoe prints on my wall. Some of my fellow actors were not so lucky. One of the actresses in our play apparently fell victim to the Stockholm Syndrome And decided to befriend one of her spiders She named him Herman And used to laugh how she had breakfast with him every morning She showed up for a matinee one Saturday With a giant purple welt on her forehead She said the bite didn't hurt as much as the idea that Herman would betray her And bite her in her sleep There is nothing more dangerous than misplaced whimsy It was probably one of the first real examples I had That you can't negotiate with terrorists During the play that afternoon Her eye began to swell shut Making her truly look like a victim of domestic abuse I had to play a love scene with her in act two The audience cried I wasn't sure if it was the power of the writing Or for a brief moment the audience thought They were watching the elephant man Spider season almost ended the exact day fall began In Buffalo, fall lasts for about two hours And then goes straight to winter Winter lasts for months I remember that first last day of fall in Buffalo The air in the morning was crisp The wind burned my cheeks The leaves rustled in the trees Then the sun went behind a bank of thick, impenetrable clouds Like the kind you would see on Saturn And the thermometer went into a free fall I knew right away I was unprepared See, you don't need winter clothes in a boring part of the country that only has one season Endless summer I had a sweater and a sports coat That was it I had some time in between the matinee with the elephant girl and the evening show I had to re-outfit myself fast I figured Bob was my go-to guy at getting some buffalo-appropriate clothes We usually played Scrabble in between shows, but Bob was more than happy to break out of the routine He told me he knew a great place for clothes not far from the theater Bob took me to a stately old department store It was one of those places that as soon as you went through the revolving doors, you're hit by the smell of mothballs There were almost no shoppers inside Buffalo's economy was in the doldrum And the billions of dollars the city had spent On the two-mile subway wasn't helping At least that was the prevailing wisdom at the time I had about 45 minutes to find something warm And get back to the theater for the evening show Bob and I went up the empty escalator That led up to menswear Muzak played eerily overhead It was kind of like Night of the Living Dead Or something in there The deserted second floor was guarded by an incredibly ancient saleswoman Who wore very red lipstick and had a red scarf She looked like a Mother Goose character Who escaped from the book while the children were asleep Bob said, afternoon ma'am My friend here is an actor from out of town He needs something warm Show me what you got on sale Because us actors, we don't have much money The woman said that she had a sale on cashmere suits Bob looked at me and said, bro, cashmere, can't beat that. It's warm and stylin." Bob turned to the saleswoman and asked, how much for the suit? The woman looked at the price tag and said, $10. Pause while I contemplate the deal of the century. Okay, I know it's like comparing apples and oranges, but I pay $5 for a container of live worms for my turtle. And now for a mere $5 more, I was getting an entire cashmere suit. I knew I had to strike quickly. I whispered to Bob, $10? This is crazy. Our sales lady shook her head and said, there must have been a mistake. Bob jumped in and said, well, that ain't our problem. It's on the tag. And you know what they say. If it's on the tag, it's in the bag. Bob turned to me and said, what's your size, bro? I said, "Uh, 46 long. Bob said, you have a 46 long? The saleswoman went through her short stack of blue suits She said, yes, we do Bob said, throw on the coat, see if it fits I put on the jacket and it seemed to drape off my shoulders perfectly Bob says, how's it feel? I said, well, very warm, very soft Bob said, great, you should take it, bro I said, Bob, don't, don't you think I'll be out of place? I mean, no one wears suits in the cast I don't want to look like I'm putting on airs Bob smiled and said It's classy It would be nice to bring some class back to the theater And you can't beat the price Remember, he who hesitates is screwed I took the suit Bob and I headed back to the theater for the evening show After the show, the cold front from northern Canada Had started to move into the area It was near freezing and the wind was gusting It was so cold, we didn't go to Ray Flynn's tavern that night. We just stayed at the theater bar and drank. Our bartender, Taya, said that she heard temperatures could be dropping below zero overnight. If the worst of the storm hit, we could be looking at 20 or 30 below with a wind chill of 75 below. I said, 75 below? Did you say 75 below? Taya said, yeah, with the wind chill. I said, is that possible? I mean, does Earth get that cold? Okay, okay. I know it gets that cold where the penguins live, but does it get that cold where people live? Tell you, I said, well, it does in Buffalo. I said, I saw... A show on TV where they're talking About manned flights to Mars And they said that they could go in the Summertime when the temperatures on Mars Stay between 60 or 70 degrees And I thought that sounded good But then they said the problem was that nights On Mars dropped to 75 below It's going to be as cold here As nighttime on Mars Taya said, yeah, but that just With the wind chill Bob said, Stephen, you got your New suit, put it on, see if it keeps You warm i went back up to the dressing room i pulled out my suit with great anticipation i unfolded the pants and for the first time i noticed there was something strange the proportion the zipper on the pants was about two feet long that couldn't be right i slipped them on and the waist went right under my nipples it was ghastly it was some sort of strange clown suit I threw on the jacket. I looked in the mirror. No wonder they were selling it for $10. I didn't need a belt. I just needed to inhale, and a rib would hold them up. I was mortified. I walked down to the bar. All conversation stopped. Bob looked up from his drink and started laughing and clapping. Hey, bro, you bought a genuine zoot suit. That's a classic. I said, Bob, look at these pants. They're like the sails on a pirate ship. Do you think I could take them back? Bob said, oh, I doubt that. It was on sale. But why would you ever want to take it back? I said, because it is completely freakish. Look at this zipper. Can you imagine the first time I have to go to the men's room? How long do they think a penis is? You don't want your clothes to be at their most attention-grabbing when you're zipping up at the urinal. It's like some sort of spacesuit." Bob considered for a moment, handed me an Irish whiskey to calm me down. He said, the way I see it, Jack It's a look very few people can pull off You can with your height Very striking And the suit is worth $10 for the cashmere alone. Easy The other cast members came in to get a drink They saw me in my new suit And were hit with a moment of silence Donna, who played my sister Asked me if I was doing a minstrel show Somewhere in town (laughs) The elephant girl was kind She said I looked very handsome She asked me to let her know when I was going back to the apartments She lived on the floor above me and wanted a man to walk back with her for safety I didn't know how effective I would be as a bodyguard I was certain if people saw us together, they would just think the circus was in town My blue cashmere suit was the only warm clothing I had in Buffalo So I wore it every day Eventually, I became accustomed to the stares and the laughter just like the first time I wore a jockey strap in fifth grade. The unexpected benefit of the zoot suit was I felt safer on the streets. People kept their distance. I realized that they probably thought anyone wearing this suit was probably armed. On the artistic front, the Miss Firecracker contest delighted audiences every night. Bob always got applause on his entrance. I always had the best time wooing my dear elephant girl in act two. The lead in our production, Catherine Grody Asked me one night if I had an agent I told her the story of how my man Apparently left in the middle of the night With a cardboard box full of 8x10s And she told me, good I want you to meet Jeff He's coming to see the show tomorrow You should have someone good working for you Catherine's agent, Jeff Hunter Flew up from New York to see the play The next day I got a phone call Stephen, this Jeff Hunter do you have an agent? I said, uh, no, sir. He said, you do now. Monday, your day off. I said, yes, sir. He said, come to Manhattan Monday morning. I said, yes, sir. I bought a plane ticket on us air. I flew into Manhattan with my blue zoot suit Monday morning. I went to Jeff's office. He eyed me in the suit and said, have a seat. I want you to see these people today Jeff was writing out a schedule of auditions For Broadway, for television, for movies, for commercials I sat there dumbstruck He said, you have a place to stay in New York? I said, no, sir He said, you could stay with me if you want to crash You need money I said, no, sir I cashed my paycheck before I came He said, when the play ends, you come straight back here And I will keep you busy for a long time I said, actually, Mr. Hunter, I live in California with my girlfriend. He said, not a problem. Jeff picked up the phone and called Los Angeles. Hey, John, I have an actor I'm representing out here, Stephen Tobolowsky. He lives out there. I want you to handle him. Great. Thanks. Jeff wrote out a phone number and handed it to me. You have an agent now, Stephen. Before you go out, go here. Buy some clothes. That day... In 20 minutes, I got my career, or rather the seed of my career. I had no way of knowing that Jeff Hunter was one of the most powerful agents in the country and that his friends in Los Angeles were equally situated. From that day on, instead of being sent in on casting calls held in an actual airplane hangar with a thousand other people auditioning to be an extra to play a passenger on a hijacked airplane. I was auditioning for Broadway and for speaking roles in movies. I walked into rooms where people smiled at me and shook my hand and said, Have a seat, Stephen. Jeff has told me some nice things about you. In the end, it was Plan B that made my life happen. It was Plan B that planted the seed that my grandmother told me about in that dream. The visitation I had my first week in Buffalo. From the moment I met Jeff Hunter, my life began to fall up. On a couple of side notes, in 2002, I was nominated for a Tony Award for *Morning at 7. Jeff Hunter was there, and he looked exactly the same. And I walked over to him, and I thanked him for the help he gave me that Monday morning some 20 years earlier. I told him he changed my life. Jeff looked at me and said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I said, you came out to see the Miss Firecracker contest in Buffalo, and you told me to see you and you offered me money and told me to buy some clothes? You set me up with my agent in Los Angeles? Jeff stared in the space and said, not me. Doesn't ring a bell at all. A year after we finished the Miss Firecracker contest, I got a phone call around midnight. I heard a familiar voice screaming <laughs> into the phone, hey, bro, it's me, Bob. I'm a-coming your way. I'm coming to L.A. I want to try this TV deal for real once before I die. Keep an eye out for me, for a place. We'll tear it up, Jack, you and me. Maybe we'll get to do a play together again. I love you, man. I love you. I said, I love you too, Bob. And I'm on it, bro. I'm on it. I found a place for Bob to stay across the street from me. He was about to become my new neighbor. As for the zoot suit The only tangible artifact I had left from my days in Buffalo I ended up wearing it for years It had its advantages Because it was never in style It was always strangely appropriate It was incredibly comfortable It always fit And in its final incarnation I took it on camping trips I could use it as a blanket to keep me warm at night
0: That was Nighttime on Mars, a series of stories by Stephen Tobolowsky. You know, Stephen, we've got to talk about the, the meetup that we had because this is the first recording that we're doing after we actually had the, uh, the Slash film meetup. Uh, yes. We actually went to Jerry's Deli at Slash Pins Bowling Alley. And uh, how, how did you like your time there meeting all the uh, Tobolowsky listeners?
1: I thought the time meeting the Tobolowsky listeners were great. I could say that if you did a pie graph, of people who listen to the podcast only 5% could actually bowl <laughs> I think I think uh, <laughs> I think I've never seen so many gutter balls in my life but I have to say meeting everybody was delightful it was it was a fun, exciting. I had no idea there would be so many people there. It was like it was like amazing, and yeah. we almost got thrown out of several places because we had so many people.
0: Exactly, uh, and the thing is, uh, you know, you know where that comes from is me uh, or Peter Saretta, the editor in chief of SlashFilm dot com, once had a once tried to schedule a meetup at Comic Con several years ago, and literally like one or two people showed up. <laughs> And after that after that initial experience, he kind of it kind of gave us all this chip on our shoulder about about meetups. We're just like I, we don't think anyone will ever show up. And of course, like fifty to sixty people ended up showing up that evening. So a big thanks to all that came out, and uh, hope you guys had a good time. It was certainly a blast for me, uh, despite the fact that we almost got ejected from the from the <laughs> area multiple times. Uh, but I think a fun time was had by all. Uh, I, I actually was... So I was in LA last week, had the opportunity to meet Steven and his his wonderful family. And your wife seems like a very nice woman. Uh, I mean, she has to be right because she puts up with you all the time. Absolutely. Boom. She puts up with me. And you got, to
1: see, you got to see the bench where we saw the squirrel with the gigantic balls.
0: Exactly, yes.
1: You got to see all the places that were mentioned in the podcast. You know, we should, you know, when this podcast thing dries up, we should, <laughs> we should uh, you know, take an SUV and cut the top of it off and make it a tour bus for the people who want to see the sites mentioned in the podcast and just drive it around my backyard.
0: That sounds like a good plan, Stephen. So (laughs) when the podcast dries up, so like in maybe two weeks, (laughs) (laughs) I kid, kind of. Uh, Anyway. That's so deep. The truth hurts. Let's wrap things up. Stephen, how can people reach you if they'd like to get in touch with you?
1: I think it would be great if they reach me by email. It's stephentobolowski at gmail.com. And I'm spelling it, and I'm telling you why, David. S-T-E-P-H-E-N-T-O-B-O-L-O-W-S-K-Y. Because in spite of me spelling Stephen Tobolowsky at gmail.com, when people write me, they always spell my name. <laughs> they still spell my name wrong. Curse of my life. And they could also uh, get me on Twitter.com slash Tobolowsky or at Facebook.com slash Stephen
0: Toboloski. Very cool. And you have recently signed on to Facebook, is that correct? That I
1: have it? signed on to Facebook, and that way I get to uh, interact with people directly, and they get to abuse me for the podcast. On, in fact, it was some of the Facebook comments that said, oh, I need to hear about the Faye Dunaway date. Uh, you know, that's, And I, I told them, you just have to wait till this week, and you'll hear all about it.
0: Alright, well, again, you can harass Steven that way as well, in addition that's basically, Steven just listed ways to harass him uh, is, is basically what you can do. You can find me at twitter.com slash Dave Chensky, that's Dave Chen, S K Y. and you can always email me at slash filmcast at gmail.com Finally, we always like to read uh, emails from you guys, uh, you can always email, uh, again, Stephen at Stephen tobolasky at gmail.com, and we post some of these emails at the Tobolasky Testimonies, which you can find at tobolasky.tumblr.com, that's T-U-M-B-L-R dot com. And uh, here's a nice email. I have been listening to your podcast for several months now, and I feel compelled to let you know how much I have enjoyed your stories. They, ha- they have, as you have pointed out, taken an interesting side road from your original podcast format, a side road that becomes unexpectedly beautiful, one that allows you and us to savor the views and reflect a little without the hurried rush to end the drive. I listen to you each week as I drive. My roads are the highways of southern Alberta and the British Columbia interior. My views are often spectacular, but my days are generally 12 to 16 hours as I am a long-haul trucker. I don't know how much thought you have to go through when you put together a story, or do they end up writing themselves? I have to say, whatever the process, the outcome is highly entertaining, funny, and very often moving. Stephen, you're also a natural storyteller, and I encourage you to keep going as long as the inspiration will allow you. Thank you for a quality show and a real work of art. So a big thank you to whoever wrote that in. Again, I, try to, I we remove all the names to protect the, the innocent. But uh, <laughs> you can find, you can find uh, that email and others at Tobolowsky.tumblr.com. Also a nice photo that that, uh, that young man took for us as well, mm. which is very uh, very lovely. So check that out. And thank you for listening to The Tobolaski Files. Have a great week, guys. Bye-bye.